invite you to listen now for the word of God. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I want to begin the sermon there with those last words of the prophet Isaiah, quoted by Luke about John the Baptist. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's the great promise on this second Sunday of Advent. And we are the people who live in the light of this promise, in the calling of this promise, in the challenge of this promise. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Because this is a promise, we wait expectantly, joyfully, we wait for its fulfillment. My, ch- my children learned early on in our household that in our household, you don't make promises unless you intend to keep them. I, if I said that when I got home in the evening, we would try to go out for ice cream, they would always ask, Do you promise? They knew that if I said I promise, they could count on it. If I said I couldn't make it a promise, they knew there might be something that would keep me from it. I remember still to this day with shame those times when I made a promise to one of them and was for whatever reason, not able to keep it. They would say, but you promised, Dad. And no explanation, no something came up at the church, no, well, it was out of my hands, would suffice because I had promised. So I learned 
early on to be careful with my promises. To make one meant that I knew I had complete control over the events of the day, that nothing would get in the way of the keeping of that promise. And how often do we really have that kind of control? So I would say, more times than not, I'm going to do everything I can to really be here and do such and so, but I'm not going to promise. Broken promises hurt, no doubt about it. The worst thing about a broken promise, though, is not the hurt that it causes. It is what it creates in the wake of the hurt. A broken promise creates just a little less trust. To be on the receiving end of a broken promise means that when we hear the next promise, we may be less inclined to believe, less likely to receive, a little more cynical, have a little less faith. And faith in the promise, trust in the one who makes the promise, enables us to live in the light of the promise. All of the promises for which we wait, to respond to the calling of those promises, to rise to the challenge of those promises. Out there in the wilderness with John are people who are longing for a new day. They are responding to his proclamation that it is possible to repent, to turn from the way you are walking and to go in a different direction. It is possible to repent, and they are going down into the waters of baptism as a sign of this possibility, of this turning. And they are hearing him speak about a great promise that all flesh, all flesh, shall see the salvation of God. All. And they've had more than their share of broken promises. Emperor Tiberius has the Roman imperial boot resting squarely on their throats. And his henchmen, the governor Pontius Pilate and the so-called kings, Herod Antipas, Philip, Trachonitis, all work together to ensure that the will of Rome overrides the will of the people. The chief priests, first Annas and then Caiaphas, preside over an increasingly corrupt temple complex that seems too often more concerned with its own survival than with faithfulness to the call of God. Political and religious leaders have made and broken many promises to the people who are now gathering out there in the wilderness hungry for change, ready to change, listening for the promise that is for all, 
including them. Luke wants to make sure that we understand the import of what is happening in the wilderness, in the desert. So he names all the power brokers of the day with their centers of power in the great cities of the day, Rome, Jerusalem, Tiberias, Separus. They are there in those centers, presiding, governing, controlling. While out in the wilderness, something is happening. In the desert, the word of God arrives. In the desert, with a promise, all will see the salvation of God. All. The miracle out there in the desert is that the people are not cynical. Even with all of the broken promises lying shattered around them, they believe, they trust, they come to the waters, and they act. They ask John, later in this text, the portion that we did not read today, but is the text for next Sunday, they ask John, what shall we do? And he responds, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. The tax collectors asked him, what should we do? And he says, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. The soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he says, do not extort money from anyone by threats and false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Very specific, John is. The promises shape the life, the everyday living of those who hold the promises in their heart. We live by the light of the coming day for which we wait. We live now as if it were fully come, even as we pray, come Lord Jesus. And we take on the character of that for which we wait. If we trust the promise, we begin to live by its gathering light. And so we too ask, what should we do? How should we live? How shall we respond to the good news of this promise? And John's voice is as clear now as it was then. It seems to me that the call to the church in Advent is clear. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make God's paths straight. Fill every valley. Bring down every mountain. Straighten the roads and smooth them out. Walter Brueggemann says, the task of making the highways workable again repairing them so that all flesh can indeed see God's salvation is a task that the church dare not neglect. So during Advent, we do things large and small. We buy gifts for the angel tree. And this simple act makes straight the winding road of poverty just a little. 
clears a path just a little so that the promise of God may be seen. During Advent, we pause each day to share together the words written with such care by, our, by members of our community of faith. This time, this pause, it lowers the mountain of busyness just a little. It gives us the opportunity to see, really see, beyond the trappings of the season to the promise underneath. During Advent, we gather in the cold and rain to walk with people who do not know where their next meal is coming from and provide food for body and soul, praying with and for them. And this act lifts the valley of hunger just a little, gives voice to hope, and helps clear the way to see the promise pulsing just beneath the surface of things. During Advent, the church lifts its voice to say to the world that the emperors and governors do not get the last word, that lies and corruption do not ultimately reign and will not stand, that peace is possible, that hope is not in vain, that joy can be found, that love undergirds the universe and will remain when all else has passed away. We light candles and make these proclamations and the light of those candles and the strength of those words helps a weary world to see a little more clearly the promises. During Advent, we are making plans to go to the desert wilderness to the borderlands of our own nation where huddled masses yearn to breathe free and pray that by our presence the promise that all flesh, all flesh, seeing God's salvation becomes a little more real and is seen. During Advent we gather at the table of the Lord And remember the mystery that holds the promise. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Has, is, will. The one who is and was and is to come. Who holds all time and our time in his hands. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who keeps his promises. In the end, we are not perfect. Our efforts to make and keep promises will fall short. But the one who meets us at this table is faithful. His promises are sure. His day is coming. And let us us hear it again. Let us believe it. Let us walk in its light, its calling, and its challenge. All flesh, all flesh will see the salvation of God. May that day find us ready and faithful, making paths straight, lowering mountains, lifting valleys by God's grace. The promise is sure. 
that surrounds us this Advent day, we can dare to trust it. And in the trusting, find life. So let us with one voice raise our Advent cry, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.